Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Excited this morning that we get to get back into the book of James. Whenever the holidays come around, it's always rough because there's two or three weeks, and it's great, don't get me wrong, but it's not great when you're in the middle of studying a book, right? So this morning we will be back in James chapter 3. And this morning uh, I thought I'd just ask a question, and that is, what does it mean to do the right thing? What does it mean to do the right thing? If we were to ask random people um, around Bakersfield or out in Denver or New York or anywhere around the world, I I think we would get a, a similar response. Such a response, I believe, would be like the definition of doing the right thing set forth by Forbes magazine. And they said, doing the right thing generally means making decisions that are not based on your own personal needs, that don't expand your popularity or enforce your personal beliefs. It means doing what is best for the greater or common good. I truly believe that most people around the world, especially in our country, would say something very similar to this. We live in a world of saints. Everyone is just so wonderful, right? I mean, that's what I take out of this. But actually, the reason that we all say this is because we know that this is what people want to hear, right? You can't answer any differently than that. We can't say or won't say, doing the right thing means doing what's right for me. What makes me the most money? What makes me the most popular? What makes me the most cool? And if anything seems otherwise, it's just my game, letting you hear what you want to hear so that I can get what I want. Yet that is exactly the way the wisdom of the world works, right? You hear one thing, but you don't see that same thing. The world knows what to say, they just don't know how to follow it up. The wisdom of the world is selfish and manipulative. The contrast of that, according to James, is wisdom from above. Such wisdom not only says the right things, but is sincere about it. Right? They, they mean what they say, and they, they do the right things as well. It is so rare. And once again, uh, James is emphasizing this whole idea that you can tell what somebody believes by the way they act. Again, going back to his faith and works. You could tell who has faith because you see it. You almost don't even have to ask because it's so obvious. Anyone can write a great mission statement. Anyone can give a great quote, an inspirational tweet. Yet I don't think we have to think very hard to think about somebody who says amazing things and yet we look at their lives and their character and their conduct, and it leaves a lot to be desired, right? You can't believe, if, if, you know, we're not going to go through a list today, 
But there's so many videos online where it's like, what do you think about this quote? Oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing quote. Yes, and then only to reveal, oh, Hitler said that. Or something, you know, you, you would not expect, but it changes the way you view that quote, knowing that the actions and the words don't match up, which is James's point this morning. The most notorious villains in history were usually guys who are much better spoken than me, who can give great, great speeches with just enough truth to hang on to. And so church, we can say the right things, truth even, and yet we could do it in a way that's unwise, evil, and even demonic, James will say. So let, let us heed his words in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 this morning. And our sermon is called Wisdom Within Reach. Let me start by praying for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, what a joy to um, just this morning, Lord, realize that I forget during the week how much joy there is in just singing songs to you in surrendering to you, into apologizing to you, Lord. That is such a healthy posture and, and somehow is, is such a posture of joy, Lord. And I ask that we would have that posture this morning, that we would come before you humbly, um, learning, Lord, that you've given us your wisdom, but it is a wisdom that we can corrupt Lord, that many have corrupted. Let us always say what we mean and, and do what we say, Lord, and use your word and your knowledge for your glory, Lord, which again, the world says it doesn't make sense, but we know that it brings us joy to be obedient to you, Lord. And Please help us this morning. Please be with us this morning, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to start this morning by reading the entire five verses, um, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, <clears throat> so we get the, the complete picture here. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so what we find in these verses is there's two sorts of wisdom that James is talking about. And mind you, again, that he's talking to Christians. It almost seems like he's talking to two different congregations of people, telling them not to be evil or, or to be wise from above and wise from below. But the context is Christians, and that is sobering and something to consider as, as we read this. There's wisdom from below, earthly wisdom, and wisdom from above, which is from heaven, and this morning we will look at those two differences that uh, there's quite the list for both of those, what those look like. And I'm confident that after we go through describing those and seeing those lists that you're going to want to use wisdom from above. In such case, we will then 
look at. Well, how do we get to that point? How do we use that wisdom? Because it is certainly, according to this, a wisdom that is within our reach. Now, it may be helpful, since we haven't been in the book of James for almost going on a month now, again, because of the holidays, but right before this, James is, is telling those in his congregation who all want to be teachers, not many should want to be a teacher. It's, it's extremely stressful. There, there's so much that comes along with it. And then he goes into our last sermon in James where he says the tongue is insanely wicked. It's uncontrollable, just causes all sorts of trouble. And I think this ties directly into that, and it makes sense to read these um, side by side. And so let's begin by examining the wisdom that we experience the most, whether it's us operating in this wisdom or just experiencing this wisdom in the world. But this is wisdom from below. Wisdom from below is a hell of a wisdom. It's a hell of a wisdom, literally. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic not from above, not good. Unfortunately, this is the default setting of humanity. If you don't know Christ, this, this is the wisdom that you operate out of. Now, what this reminded me of is old, I believe, like Tex Avery cartoons. Um, maybe Some of you will understand this, where, where you'd have a war of conscience in a cartoon character. And you'd see on one shoulder like a cartoonish demon, right? And on the other shoulder, like some cartoonish-looking angel, right? And they're both trying to, to win over what action that character is going to take. Now, as I read this, it, it, just, it was really convicting that for most of us, while those demons aren't cartoonish, and when it comes to the wisdom of the world, they're both demons, right? There's no struggle they are both demons telling us what to do, telling us what the world wants to hear, what good looks like. And the reason that we do that is to get our own way, to, to manipulate and to destroy. Wisdom from below is also a weaponized wisdom. It is a weaponized wisdom. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Such wisdom causes disorder and chaos. James says it causes every vile practice. Every vile practice. And the terrifying truth about wisdom from below, the scary part about the, the truth of this, is that it uses truth. It's not lying. And it, I, for me, this is the interesting, scary part about this. In verse 14, James says, Don't boast. And don't be false to the truth. And so he's not saying they're lying. He's saying they are saying the right things. These are Christians who know what to say. They are saying what they're supposed to say. And yet they are wrong. They have made, they have made it false. They have made truth false. Well, how do you make truth false? Isn't truth truth? Well, you make truth false when you weaponize it. When you use truth for the purposes of evil, when you use truth to destroy, you've weaponized truth. And that's the deceptive part about it. 
An example of this, unfortunately, is, is many others who are in ministry, who again know a lot more than I do, who have spent their lives studying, who know truth upside down, inside out. And what do they do? Abuse people. That is weaponized truth. Everything they're saying is true, but their actions are evil. They destroy lives while quoting the Bible. Truth in the hands of the wrong person with the wrong heart is dangerous. And again, it's not whether truth is true. It's whether the person using the truth is using wisdom from above or wisdom from below. Again, wisdom from below is garden snake wisdom. Garden snake wisdom. Verse 16, <clears throat> again. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So why is that garden snake wisdom? It's the same wisdom the snake gave in the garden. You will be like God. You will be like God. Selfish ambition when you have selfish ambition, there is chaos and vileness and disorder. It ruins everybody's life around you for your glory and for your position or whatever it is you're aiming for. Now, the scary thing about this verse, again, is for those in the church handling the word of God. This is truth that we're talking about. And James is saying, you people who handle the truth, you better... Again, be worried. You're going to be held under a judgment. My word is true, but it can be used. It can be made false, right? Truth can be made false, manipulated. And I hope none of you, like, that's what you're aiming for. I don't think so. And if you are, well, we're not going to talk about that this morning, but we will be talking about that. Um, but, and so now I want to focus on wisdom from above. Heavenly wisdom. In verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so the origin of, of wisdom from above is it's from above, right? It's from heaven. That's awesome. But it's also unnatural. Wisdom from above is unnatural, right? I mean, it's from above. It's supernatural. We can't get it. We don't have it. It must come to us. This wisdom must come to us. This wisdom from above is pure. It's interesting that James says it is first pure. Like its defining characteristic, wisdom from above, is its purity. It is above all things pure. It is untainted by the devil, by demons, by selfish ambition, by selfishness, whatever it might be. It is pure. It is untainted. Wisdom from above is from God. It is purely from God, and it is purely focused on God. The great thing about this is that if you follow wisdom from above, well, you lead lives that are pure. It talks about good fruits. Again, going back to what James says over and over about like you will have works, like you will have fruit from your works. You'll be able to see it. If you follow wisdom from above, you will see that in your life. 
if you lack purity in your life, if your life is in chaos or disorder, according to this, the solution to that is wisdom from above. It is having pure wisdom. Wisdom from above is also an honest wisdom. In verse 17, it says that it is impartial and sincere. It is the opposite of weaponized wisdom. How many of you ever go into a conversation with somebody knowing they know a lot and you, and you don't want to talk to them because they're going to beat you up with their wisdom? You're going to know how smart they are. And it's not that they're wrong. They're smart. They really are. But they're not smart in how they use their knowledge, right? Honest wisdom says the right thing and it does the right thing. There's no act, there's no manipulation, right? It's just so refreshingly honest. Such wisdom is also impartial. As we learned in James chapter 2, people knowing the right thing to do, well, if you see somebody who has needs, take care of them. Don't just say the right thing. Don't just bless them with this awesome blessing. Take care of their needs. You, you don't, don't be partial with who you're going to associate with. Don't favor the rich person. They have plenty of, of resources. Use wisdom. Be impartial. Wisdom from above is also a humble, it's a humble wisdom. According to verse 17, it is gentle, teachable, and contains mercy. And when I think about this, I think about conversations. Again, all these things you will see tie together and are really about uh, teachers and those being taught and, and being engaged in, in conversations in church. And so when, when it says gentle, I just imagine people going into conversations not to win the conversation, but to win the person. Right? Who cares if you win the conversation? At what cost? That nobody wants to talk to you again? That you've stunted somebody else's growth? Another awesome thing about wisdom from above is that it could be taught more wisdom. It seeks out wisdom from others, right? Which is crazy. It seeks out other people, not to win a conversation, but to learn stuff. It's one of the reasons I love you guys so much. I'm always learning stuff. This type of humble wisdom may not enter the room as the wisest person but they can leave with the same amount of wisdom as everybody else. Because when you're humble and teachable, you can learn from other people's wisdom. It's so great. If you just be quiet, you could gain so much more wisdom. If you just be gentle and humble. This wisdom is also merciful. And I, I know for me, um, this is difficult, especially I, I, my first thought is in playing in the middle of hockey games, but this can go um, into any um, conflict, argument with somebody. And it's been going on for a while. You guys have been going back and forth. It may have started off okay. But once things get heated, it is difficult to show mercy. Most of the people who get us the most angry are the same people who know our buttons, 
And, and we know they're theirs, right? And so we know at any moment we could pull out the final blow. Like we, can, we know how to end a conversation. But mercy is not delivering that final blow. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. Right, that's the thing about this. This is truth we're talking about. Sometimes, even when we give truth, there's mercy to it in the way that we give it. It does no good to burn down a bridge or destroy a relationship. But by showing mercy, we can build bridges. Right? We could point people to the mercy of Jesus right? by our mercy. That's what can be different about us so easily in the world. Show mercy. It, it will absolutely stick out as something that most people don't experience in this world. So wisdom from above, it knows what is right. It is sincere. It does what is right. And I also believe, like James, that this is completely within our reach. This is wisdom that we can aspire to. But it's one that we must work hard for. Again, this idea of works. Work. This is not natural. This is, this is not our default position. We must work our way out of using the world's knowledge. And so I want to look at four ways to sow wisdom from above. And these are all things that James has already talked about. Wisdom from above is sown in faith in Jesus. It is sown by faith in Jesus. You cannot have wisdom from above apart from Jesus. In verse 15, we learned it is from above, right? And in chapter 1, verse 17, you may remember, every good gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. To have wisdom from above, we must have faith. And not just faith, but we must have faith in Jesus Christ. We must have faith that he is a gift from the Father. By faith in Christ, we have union in Christ. We are in Christ. Now, we say that a lot, but I don't think we think about it a lot. In churches, what I hear all the time is about asking Jesus into your heart. And we know by this verse and many other verses that that's not the case. Right? The Holy Spirit is inside of us, but we are in Christ. It seems like a subtle difference, but it, it affects everything. We are in Christ. I just learned this this week, actually. <laughs> um, <clears throat> not that we are in Christ. I knew that before I came here. The, you guys are all praying for me now. Um, <laughs> the Apostle Paul, I learned this week, uh, mentions being in Christ 161 times. 161 times. Think about that. So how crucial must that be, that we are in Christ? And, well, how does that apply to wisdom then? So I'm going to read a big chunk of Scripture here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. And I want to read this, keeping in mind our study today and our relationship between wisdom from above and being in Christ, just to show you why you have to have faith in Christ to have wisdom from above. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom 
of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And so in that, we see, because we are in Christ, that wisdom is in us. If we are not in Christ, we do not have access to that wisdom. Again, that's why every, especially in the New Testament, the writers keep saying, don't boast, don't boast. You didn't do anything. You're not that smart. You are not that spiritual. Not when it comes to spiritual matters. Wisdom from above is the person of Jesus Christ. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. To sow wisdom from above, you must have that faith. And it seems simple enough. Oh, you have to be a Christian to have this. But operating in this wisdom is not easy. It's not easy to sow in this wisdom. It takes a lot of faith to be a Christian in our world. It's not easy. Consider all the conversations you have at work or online. It is not easy. It requires faith because the world, as, as, as Paul said, thinks we're crazy. The world thinks we're crazy. Why would you have faith in what you have faith in? And yet that faith is required. It takes faith to be attacked, to take punch after punch from this world. And I think it's going to get worse. It's going to cost us a lot more. It takes faith to not only take that abuse, but to what? Take it in joy, right? Chapter one, we're happy about it, that we're being abused. That's why the world thinks we're crazy. How often has the world tried killing us, literally killing the faith who believe in it? You think we're crazy and they want to put an end to it. Yet by faith, we know that we are wise. When everything we see says otherwise, and it does. Sometimes we've been in the faith so long, we don't realize how crazy it is. This is a crazy faith. It, that's why it takes faith. This is, the average person doesn't think this is reasonable. And outside of this faith that we've been gifted, it is not. It's not reasonable. But by faith, we know that it is. It takes faith to give up your life to follow Christ. Yet following Christ is following the wisdom from above. Following Christ, that's what that means. If you want to operate in wisdom from above, you operate in Christ to do that. Now, I should say just very quickly that you can fake having wisdom from above. And that's where James will always point out, like, show me your fruit. It's not an unreasonable question to ask somebody who's going to boast about how wise they are. They'll have fruit if they're telling the truth. 
you will have righteousness and peace. Second, wisdom from above is sown in fear. It is sown in fear. Remember, this chapter started in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What's the purpose of that statement? Why would he say something like that? Fear. That verse is about fear. That verse terrifies me. And you may be saying, well, thank God I'm not a teacher. But yet, yes, teachers will be held to a greater strictness. That is absolutely what it says. But it says greater strictness, not they're the only ones. And so all of you, I just lumped you into that. Greater strictness here, but you are going to be evaluated. The stakes couldn't possibly be any higher. Why would he say this? Fear. You should be afraid of handling the words of God, the knowledge of God. There is a healthy fear aspect to it, a reverence to it. As Ian read earlier, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even start it without fear. You have no idea how to handle it unless there is fear. Wisdom from above is, is sown with the theological worldview of God that beholds his greatness and his glory and his holiness, and you, and you line that up with the fact that you are just so tiny and extremely sinful. If you don't grasp that, the perfectness, grandness of God, and your smallness and sinness, sinfulness, you can't operate in wisdom from above. You're not in the right mindset. You have to have fear. You must sow in fear. It's from this posture. Once you grasp that, if, if it's even graspable completely, it is in that posture that we cling to Christ. Like that's when you fall down before the cross. That's when you're undone. That's when you start to get wise. You know you're wise when you know you have no hope outside of Christ. When you submit in obedience and call out to and cling to and do whatever it takes to cling to Christ, you have now begun to find wisdom. You've just started to be wise. And there's no wiser decision that you can make. Third, we must sow the wisdom from above through the implanting of the word. You see, the wisdom from above isn't abstract and it's not changing. It's not like the wisdom from the world, which just in my life has changed repeatedly, like insanely. I mean, younger people, you have no idea. The world you live in was not the world that, that your parents and I lived in. It's just not everything that was true was not true 10, 15 years ago. It was not even talked about or thought about. And yet the wisdom from above is not abstract. It is not changing. It is knowable. It is learnable. It is the revealed word of God. The same word that points us to Christ is also the same word that tells us how to live and be like him, wisdom from above. This is clear in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I know sometimes that's a catch-all verse, right? You could put that in every sermon. You could start every sermon like that. But the point is, in reference to wisdom from above, if Paul is not lying, and I don't think he is, Wisdom from above is not, you're not able just to follow it, but you are able to follow it completely. He says perfect. And so we have this blueprint in our hands. Like we have the rules, right, of how to use wisdom from above. It's just a matter of knowing and doing. James one twenty one. I know a lot of you memorized that Hearing is not enough. Even if I give the best sermon ever, it is not enough for you. It is through the implanting of the word, the sowing of the word, and the doing of the word that you reap righteousness and peace and you grow and you are sanctified. Just hearing it in passing is not enough. And because of that, church, I'm going to keep encouraging you at the risk of annoying you to memorize Scripture. You know, I know I say this every week, but I have to stand before God someday. And so if I have to be the guy who is annoying, telling you to read your Bible, I'm willing to be that guy. Because there is no shortcut. Hearing is not enough. It must be implanted. Implanted is what James says. The other James. (laughs) You reap what you sow, church. Fourthly and lastly, wisdom from above must be sown in prayer. Again, going back to chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's all I'm going to say about this, is if you want wisdom from above, go to the source. That's how this book started. If you lack wisdom, go to God who will give it to you. Be wise enough to go to that resource. In church, we are without excuse. We have been given the gift of faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. We've been given his perfect word. We've been given a healthy fear of the Lord. We've been given access into uh, private meetings with the ultimate source of wisdom that holds together this universe. We are without excuse. There is no reason that we should operate in the wisdom from below, in the wisdom of the world. We can't say we didn't know. All we can say is we didn't sow. To know more, we need to sow more. It is that simple. You, we, we must get busy working. And in closing, what is sown is what is shown. What is sown is what is shown. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. Just like faith is shown by works, Wisdom is shown, in this case, by meekness. Meekness is a moral characteristic of wisdom. Meekness is possessing the power of the knowledge of God in our hands 
and not using it to beat people down, not using it to draw people to ourselves, but using it to draw people to God. Meekness doesn't abuse. It protects and it heals. Meekness is a willful submission and obedience. It doesn't mean you're weak. See, in our culture today, I'm not going to go through my full word study I did all week, but in our culture today, meekness means weakness. That, that is not the biblical concept of meekness. It is the opposite of weakness. Weakness says you are no threat because you are not strong and you are not smart. Meekness says you could be very strong and very smart, yet you don't bully people. You don't create chaos or disorder. Instead, you, you create and you cultivate and you compel. It's not weakness at all. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he was weak and couldn't fight back. He could have turned everybody there inside out. He died on the cross for us because he was meek, because he was obedient, and he didn't have to use his power. He used it for his purpose. He submitted to his purpose, and that is meekness. I think, I think a great example of this is a popular story um, about Bruce Lee, which I heard again this week where Bruce Lee was talking to one of his, uh, I don't know what his students were called, but, and the student said, why do you teach us like, how to kill people? like how to just brutally destroy people, but yet everything you, you say is about peace. Your actions are violence, your words are peace. To which he replied, it is better to be a warrior in a garden than to be a gardener in a war. And so the Lord didn't call us to be weak. The Lord called us to be strong. We are conquerors. We are changing this world. We are changing people's eternal lives and destinations. We are in, in the middle of an insane spiritual war. And the Lord gave us the power of his knowledge. That Bible that you hold in your hands is the knowledge of God. The wisdom that created the universe that gives us every breath is in our hands. But James's point here is that there's some who use that wisdom to destroy and to abuse and for their own fame. The truth is still true, but they make truth false. We are called to wield this power, this wisdom of God with meekness. Not, not to become famous ourselves, not to abuse anybody or create disorder, but to cultivate and create and to bring people to Jesus to cultivate righteousness and peace in our lives, which it says we will see the fruit of peace and righteousness in our lives, but also to bring others to Jesus, to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.